Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. This episode is sponsored by Isotope. Their audio software like RX helps to clean up my recordings, and they have a ton of other products on their site, isotope.com slash ruinous. Right now, Ruinous Media and Fretboard Journal listeners save 10% at checkout on any Isotope plugin or bundle using the code FRET10. So if you have a podcast or produce music, go to isotope.com slash ruinous and shop their award-winning audio production products and save 10% off your order with the code FRET10. Make your audio sound better. Thank you for listening and welcome. This is episode 34 of the Design Freaks podcast where we talk music, industry, art, and design. I'm Clarita, and I am the host, and this is the Rad Jaw episode. Uh, this is a pretty Seattle-centered episode, specifically Belltown, Seattle, Washington. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the good old days, like from the mid-aughts, the MySpace era. So it's kind of fun. Uh, Greg was in a rap group back then called Mad Rad, and they would perform at this Belltown venue where I worked. Um, it was a magical art gallery uh, bar called the McLeod Residence. And uh, you'll hear about that. We also both went to the same design school, the Seattle Central Creative Academy. Big shout out. I wanted to also uh, just make the connection uh, with the Nicholas Galanin episode from last summer because he was talking about the record he was working on at the time. And that turns out, and I even asked him about who was doing the artwork. It ended up being Greg, a.k.a. Radjaw. So very cool. It's an excuse to get in touch with him. And it's actually not his Indian, it's not Nicholas's Indian agent group. It's Yatsin, which is a shortened version of his full name. Yay, Hyatzin, um, and a bunch of other amazing artists are on that record and involved with that record. And so it's kind of a follow-up to that discussion. It was released by Sub Pop as of April 30th, I believe. So check that out. And speaking of Seattle, I am putting together a Seattle poster flyer episode. If you've ever designed posters or flyers over the years especially for clubs that are no longer around, I would love to talk to you or just you can send me your work and I can just talk about it. Um, you could email me. Um, you don't have to be on the show. Whatever. Design Freaks Podcast at gmail or dot com or DM me on Instagram. I have gotten one message so far about it. Um, it was a voice memo from someone named Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, and he wanted to know what the deal was with festival posters. So you'll have to tune in and find out. But for now, enjoy this episode, this wonderful, fun chat with the very accomplished designer and creative director, 
Gregory John Smith, or Radjaw, or Mr. Onions, if you're nasty. Hello, and welcome, and thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. It's been a, it's been a minute since I've chatted with you. It has been a very, very long time. Can we go over, like, where did we meet? Did we meet at McLeod? I think it was McLeod. Yeah, because I was actually, I could not think about the, the title of McLeod Residence. And then uh-huh. I chatted with Mark Gadgetar the other day, and I was like, I was like, okay, this is killing me for a couple of weeks since I've been <laughs> talking to Clarita. It's been, ki- what the fuck was the, he's like, McLeod, Fizz. And then, and then I found like an old poster. Yeah, like, from the, Fizz. From, from the last Fizz. And I found that poster, which was like made of all the photos that um, Tyler Rabichal used to take. And and I was, so I just found that flyer and it was like, oh shit, like my type needs work, but it looks pretty cool. And it really captured the essence of what Fizz was and what we all used to do and just rage up there and yeah. Wow. Can you send that yes. to me? I would love to yeah. post it or I, okay. So for the listeners, I used to work at an art gallery venue slash bar it, and it was a residence. That's why it was called. And it was owned by Buster Benson and Lily Barnett. Um, and for some reason, we all changed our last name on MySpace. It was the um, MySpace days for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a little community. And what I liked about it was um, it was primarily an art gallery. And we kind of had performances because, you know, we had the whole space at night. We have all these amazing, talented friends and um, you guys perform. So you were in the band Mad Rad, mm-hmm. correct? Is that, and then there was a yep. night called Fizz and what else happened on Fizz? It was like the Champagne Champagne night. And then like Mark and I, or Mark, I think mainly booked it, but I would just help him support if we needed to. Um, mm-hmm. I think Tiger Beat and Darwin were there as DJs That's a lot right. too. File Jerks, Astronomar who's uh, like huge now too as a DJ. Like um, I'm sure a couple other bands played Fizz. You know, I can't, I don't recall most of those nights. Yeah. I So this was from 2006 to 2008. Uh, Halloween night, 2008 was our last night, RIP. Um, but it was a really fun place. But that, I think that era of my life is quite a blur to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. We're um, all still so- licking wounds from that. <laughs> You know, but the vibe there was so tight because it was like this, you know, boutique feeling bar house mm-hmm. thing. And every show was like a house party, but like a VIP after hours house party that like, yeah. you know, you couldn't really get, you didn't get the same vibe at like the egg room, say at the time, you know, that one felt a little bit different as like an after hour spot. And the cloud was like, oh, look at the wallpaper. Like, let's take mm-hmm. photos. And he started thinking about those like those like let's say the Belltown like selfie spots you know what I mean like from Mm -hmm. to what evolved into like Neon Boots's bathroom of most recent Mm -hmm. like McLeod was a spot for that it just was we didn't have Instagram we had MySpace at the time and we just we didn't have Instagram and we had a a photo booth quote-unquote photo booth in the lobby that would upload directly to Flickr to a yep. Flickr account. So that was like what we had. We had MySpace. Mm-hmm. We had that. Facebook was just starting. Um, there was like live journal. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it was a space that um, what I liked about it too, was that there was always activities. There was stuff to do because I, I never liked just drinking, you know, there was yeah. something kind of depressing about, and that's why that place spoiled me because after that, you know, I ran the bar there and uh, bartended a bunch and um, 
after that, working anywhere else was like, well, what are we doing? Like, what? We're just drinking. Like, we're just drinking now. It's weird. Well, I mean, you could go to McLeod on like mm-hmm. an off night and it was like, oh, we're just sitting in this little quirky living room mm-hmm. hanging out and no one else is here. And it's just me and my, my homegirls and my guys. And we're just, mm-hmm. that's it. So just like removing yourself and going there just felt like you were doing something different than your traditional. Yeah, and there's there's art and there's stuff to mm-hmm. you know take pictures of. There's there was mm-hmm. always something built in to yeah. do, um, and different rooms. And sometimes the gallery rooms were had to be locked. But um, yeah, well, it kind of lives on, doesn't it? Like that uh, the piece that was by the bar, the light the light mm-hmm. up like lettered light boxes. Isn't that like in Fremont now? Oh boy. Uh oh. Uh, yeah, there was an article published in the stranger. I was interviewed for it and now I'm not allowed in that bar. Um, I was 86 because, well, just because, um, the owner of that place called and asked me, I might edit all this out, but the owner of that bar before he, um, opened the place, he checked with me about, um, acquiring that piece for his place. And I said, oh, that's an art piece. You could sell it there. You could have it on display and for sale like we did. And he was like, no, no, no. I just want some thing like that to own it and I gave him the contact information for the artist I don't know anyone that's been there I've never been there like why would you take a work of art and like go to a sign making place and go I want this exact thing reproduced I don't know I mean I guess it's not that weird but yeah there was a lot of uh, strange vibes around the ending of that place Um, people were emotionally attached meaning me (laughs) somehow you seem to have it wrong frozen in one spot your time is coming now it's gone so step out of your box somehow you seem to have it so um anyways well now we've solved that mystery of where we met and hung out together you said you made the posters for mad rad did you always want to do design first or art first how did that work and how did you transition um, well, you know, when I went to first college, right, I went for fine arts in University of the Arts in Philadelphia. So I was like, you know, four years of painting, sculpture, you know, and a lot of insulation work. Mm-hmm. So I just, and I was very anti-graphic design, like in 2000, I was like, oh, computers, no way, gross, get out. You Me know, too. I wanted to like, I was like, you can't hang that up. Like, you know, what is a grade? You know, there's just a lot of, you know, graffiti background and angst meets you know, being a, an artist. And as I started to move on, you know, my, my best friend that I grew up with, he went to School of Visual Arts in New York, you know, a year after. So we were kind of like looking at our two different experiences in college. And he's like, no, you need to learn this shit. And before I moved to Seattle, I just started slowly teaching myself Photoshop and Illustrator. And we started like a little t-shirt company that would also throw shows and events for bands. And we would just kind of like integrate our only sell our shirts there you know um and then when i moved here i just kind of I, I fell into a roommate who was in the drum and bass scene in seattle and that was darwin who was a dj for mad rad and dj for other people and just his own music nerd genius you know and producer and um so i started doing posters for seattle dnb and then i like rebranded seattle dnb and then i started doing their merchandise and at the time, everything was very like black and white um, collage, digital collage. It was like kind of the work I was doing, you know, and it just slowly turned into, oh, now I'm doing posters for 
bands or now I'm doing posters. Numos is hitting me up for a poster or now Nectar hit me up for a poster, you know, and then. Recharging and then, money. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay, good. Not much, not much, but yeah. you know, sometimes free, sometimes not. It depends on the case. You know, um, I was working at Joe bar. I was working at a lesion. I had a hot dog cart. I mean, that was, and then I was just doing whatever, you know, like rapping, making mixtapes, DJing, which then slowly turned into a Radjaw mixtape came out, which then turned into a Mad Rad, me, me meeting Buffalo and Nate, and we just started making music together. And then before you know it, well, people are, it's sticking. So, but we still need promo materials. We still need, you know, flyers for our top eight on MySpace and shit, you know, and then, you know, and then it was like, okay, wow, I'm actually doing way more than making music. I am making music, but that's not inherently who I was. I was literally, you know, the dad, dad jaw, right? Like I was running shit for everyone, <laughs> answering all the emails, booking all the tours, doing all the posters, doing all the album packaging, doing all the everything. Yeah. Everything came through me, you know, and and then Mad Rad was like, cool, we made money. Let's put out Fresh Espresso's album. Okay, cool. Let's put out Metal Chocolates. Let's put, let's put out KDK. Let's put out Don't Talk to the Cops. Like, so we kind of ran the label like an, more of an art collective than we did a real label where it's like, you owe us percentages. It was like, just pay us back. Like, we ah. don't care. Like, because we would sell out Numos, right? And I was the dad and I was like, sorry, guys, we're not, we're not getting payouts tonight. We're going to bankroll half of this. And then we're going to split up the other half. So I, I ensured that every money that we made from shows or any kind of sales of any merch or anything, we didn't blow it that night was the goal, right? Because it's so easy, especially when you're on tour to just blow shit. And, you know, it's like, oh, we made 80 bucks. That's nothing. Let's just get drunk. But, oh, we made 8,000 bucks. Cool. Let's use that to help us put out a record, help anyone else put out a record, you know, and when I think back to like what my band actually did, it was more than just release our albums. We basically bankrolled anyone else who was like down with us and we wanted to support oh. them and just like keep putting shit out and, you know, made that scene grow. And then it was like, Oh, and then helping with champagne and then helping with mash hall and, you know, other bands that I would do album art for and packaging, and, you know? So. Wow. That's amazing. Are these all Seattle bands? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, like with, like with Thomas and Pearl, with Larry Mizell and Bless One, you know, with um, o OC Notes, you know, um, and Rick Rude or Rick Reams, he goes by now. But I mean, these are all people still making music with Kate, Katie Kate. She's, you know, she teaches music full time now and like she still releases things, but it's kind of more like, you know, you know, Nate is now moved on to Iskadoff with Benjamin Berdos. I mean, there's just... And, you know, you tie in Nicholas Galan and I mean, there's just so much, it just snowballs into and you just kind of like, you know, our rap scene or hip hop scene that we had mm -hmm. in Seattle was kind of more like way more punk and way more fun and way more dancing than yeah. the, the like backpacker shit, you know? And at first it wasn't very well received from that community. It was better received from like the punk community because the shows felt like they were ragers and we were just like partying and drinking and fucking doing drugs and having sex with people, you know, yeah, not like it was party it, music for sure. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like keep it real, you know, like it was like, <laughs> let's do this. And well, what is real in Seattle? Who knows? And, uh -huh. um, Can I back up I just, for just a second? You mentioned Philly yeah. earlier. Are you from Philadelphia? Originally from Jersey. And then I went to school in Philly, my first school in Philly. So, and then I lived in Queens and then Seattle. So 
So yeah, I mean, it's it's strange the the idea of authenticity, and I think our generation, Gen X, is is probably the most um, obsessed with authenticity. I mean, I think that's also a blur of analog to digital, right? Uh, so yeah, you know, we were kind of on this precipice and this cusp of moving from analog to digital. We went through every iteration of it, you know, maybe not the eight track, but like after that to now, it's kind of like, what, what? I have Spotify, what, you know, that's it. Like, um, if you're a designer, you know, you're not designing with, um, you're not, you're not cutting out your, your font typography from a sheet of paper and resetting it. You know what I mean? You're just downloading a font and typing it. Yep. in canva an app on your phone or some shit Ew. you know what i mean like we don't say that word on the show <laughs> i know i'm just saying like but that's yeah, kind of yeah. where it is now and yeah. there's so many tools like you know like when when i was back in school you know maybe i think when you were back in school too it was like why am i learning to build websites there are now websites that build fucking websites yeah like so why would i learn it the real way there's no need to you know right. what I mean? like me, me being the now you know and so. and seeing what's ahead too I mean, you can tell what's going to be happening. Um, and speaking of school, I am just like you. In the early 2000s, I, I dropped out of the Art Institute because it was all going to computer, and I was terrified. And I myself, too, I'm from Austin, Texas, but I grew up around a bunch of graffiti writers. And, again, the, the values that we have about we're, we're switching from analog to digital was not an easy transition, but our generation did have to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I passed on it the first time around. I was scared. Um, and then I don't, I'm not saying that was your experience. It was definitely mine. And then had to go back as a much later, uh, older adult to, cause I, I just like you, I wanted to make posters. So I was self-taught the wrong way mm -hmm. on a pirated Photoshop version from pirate <laughs> Bay. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so same thing. And then but I waited till I was much older and I was yeah. really angry about still being in the service industry. Um, and yeah, just making posters and doing stuff independently. Um, and then had to go back and learn to do things the right way, I guess. Or, yeah. I'm, you know, well, and that's kind of what I realized. So after, you know, my label fo folded, mm -hmm. which is about eight years after the first Mad Rod record. And so it was like 2000, 12 or something i want to say it kind of ended i was like okay well what am i at my core my core i'm a designer like that's where my passion lies that's where i'm taught that's where my color theory and everything is so i, I spoke um with my friend mandy mandy blowen and she was like you should do this program it's fucking rad you know and then my, my other friend Britt zerbo she was like you got to do it it's oh, so yeah. tight Britt was an adjunct when i was there yeah, she was doing video, right? Yeah, yeah she was doing an animation class, yeah. I think. So so when I went back, I was 34, 33, 34, you know, and I was just like, went, did that during the day, had lunch, kept working, then went bartended Numos at night, got home at wow. four in the morning, went oh, the next God. day, you know, and the glorious Eric Fadiman will tell you that I am, <laughs> I am a beast. Like don't, cause he would, you know, other, other new students later, like, can you work in school? I'm like, hell yeah, you could work in school. And he's like, no, don't listen to Greg. Greg is, don't listen to Greg. Greg is, 
he's already he's already working as a designer. You know what I mean? So I took um, I actually took the work. Uh, I was working with um, freelancing with the Dershain Group at the time, and they were about to open Bait Shop, mm-hmm. and they and uh, she calls me, and Bill Falconer calls me, and Jonah, who's now the owner of there, he you know we meet down like we want you to do it, and just we think it'd be tight. So I took that money and I paid for school. I just said, cool, let's pay it forward. Oh, so nice. I finished that project. Mm-hmm. I finished that project on an 11 inch MacBook Air in a tour van. This is how I designed Bait Shop <laughs> <laughs> on wow. tour, on the, on the last tour. And then I just was like, I need to go back to school. I need to actually be better at these programs. I need mm-hmm. to be the best designer I can be. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, I'm still gonna just keep fake until I make it, but I need to, if this is what I'm going to do, I need to do it. You can't so. fake it till you, there's only a certain point you can get to like with InDesign. No way. If I hadn't taken oh Julia McNamara's class, I would oh. be lost. I wouldn't be able to work on a day-to-day basis. I love InDesign. I want to, I love it so much. I want to SSD. That's how I feel <laughs> about InDesign. I look back at some albums I've designed and I'm like, or just posters I designed like in Photoshop, like it's illustrator or in Photoshop, like it's in design. You can do it, but what the fuck? Oh no. Like, yeah. Anyways, going back to bait shop. So you, was that your first branding job? Did you do the branding for the bar? Is that what you designed? That was probably the first real, real one. I mean, I've done some other things, but they were so small or they were like a, a like a soccer team, like, club team local or something but that was like the first big one yeah okay so which cool. then so it was bait shop and, and then that led into her next restaurant Tallulah's I did that one too so did you understand and what branding was before school I did I had a, I had a okay. not as much but um like I didn't do like the depth of process that I do now it was kind of more like here's a bunch of designs do you like them client you yeah. know and then now it's kind of like now it's kind of like, let me in, let me empower the client to have a conversation and understanding before I even put any sketches down, before I go to a program, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of more just like, uh, let's figure it out, okay. you know, and now it's like, I know exactly the steps we should take mm-hmm. to tell your story, yeah. to develop your brand, to have a voice, you know, and let's take two steps back before we start going visual, you know. Yeah, and, and to set them um, up, uh, even after you go visual, to <clears> set them up so you don't, they don't need you after. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone can yeah, especially with, and, go, and run. Exactly. Or just staying on their task. You know, like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're a bold, fun, communal brand, make sure every asset after me with other designers hits those key points, exactly. you know, like whatever. It is. Yeah. So, setting up guidelines yeah. and so forth. Um, and so mm-hmm. how did you, what was the first album you designed? And was that something that you were into? Are obviously you're a, uh, into, you know, hip hop and I'm assuming collecting records mm-hmm. and vinyl and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the first album I designed. Yeah. Or just what got you into, was it posters and, I mean, then, what got, and then it made its posters way. got me into it, you know, but, um, but posters and albums are completely different because posters, they need to just attract you mm-hmm. a, a passerby on a pole for one night only it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. But an album, I mean, we're we're talking about someone's baby, right? And nor- normally when people have babies, you don't get to pick what it looks like. But oh, all of a sudden now with your album, we get to pick what your baby looks like. Mm-hmm. And you, as the mom or dad or parent, get to decide that with me, you know? So mm-hmm. 
um, it's a totally different process. It's a totally different, like, um, like story to tell, like, cause a poster is like, just come here tonight and then we'll never see you again. We, we will never ask you to see us again either. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like bullshit. But an album is like, this is, this is your logo or this is your brand essentially mm-hmm. forever. It's not going away, you know? And so how did you make that um, transition over? Was it just taking more direction from, from the artist, from the music? I think it was more like, it was me taking direction from artists, but usually I let the, the music influence it. I'm just like, send me the album. I'm going to just sit on it and listen. And then I'm going to just start like, sometimes I just start drawing or designing based on what I'm feeling and emotionally and just kind of like go for it, you know? Um, and then other times they might have like an idea and sometimes that idea is really good and sometimes that idea is really bad and you have to understand why you know and you need to 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 have them explain to you why you know like why is that better or why is that good you know and luckily for so long my the way i came up just kind of running away i just did it you know or just was like cool no one else is going to do it so i'm going to do it and do you like it good because this is what it is you know or or you get some feedback and then you go back, you know what I mean? Cause you want people in the band to be happy or whether it's your band or somebody else. But you don't get you know, infinite so. revisions folks. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, inf- there's not infinite revisions, you know, but there's also like, you know, every album cover I've done, there's probably 40 you didn't see. Yeah. You know, or mm-hmm. like how many iterations or how many other ideas or how many, how many posters or whatever I have, like I start going back to just old folders and be like, oh yeah, I made, I made that fish that one time. I'm going to use that for this now, you know, or, you know, like, and you start developing a library after 12 years of design and you're just like, yep, I know exactly where that is in that folder from that project. There's a photo of a dog. I'm Stay using, organized, you know, like, everyone. So. Label your stuff. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to use it again. Um, uh, another thing, you, so you said the album is like their baby. Sometimes it's a literal baby. How's that for a segue? Because of uh, Indian Yard. Yeah. What was that process like with Sub Pop? Um, well, Sub Pop was a little bit removed at that point. It was kind of just me and Nicholas working. He, he contacted me. Um, I I did one of his older albums. Um, it's Glimmering Now, Silver Jackson. Mm. Um, and then I did his home, I rebranded his home skillet records. Um Went from like a power fist to kind of a more shape based, um, very clean. And he was just like, Yo, dude, I got this record coming out. I want to send it to you. I want you to do the work. I want you to do it. Like, are you down? I'm like, totally. So that was probably last summer, August, we started talking. And that the record, what the record just came out May 2nd or something, right? Um, and so it started out just being like, cool, let me just listen. And I just started banging on ideas. And I had some bad ones. I had some vulgar ones. I had some like, you know, put, put native culture, exploit what, exploit the reverse of what white people are doing, you know, and we kind of got to a point of like, no, let's not go this way. Let's go this way. And then we started going into this, like a bunch of ethereal ideas, you know? Um, And in parallel, I was working on Dark Time Sunshine's lore album at the same time. And there were some parallels between these two bands of their sounds were just this controlled chaos of sorts with a lot of exploration, you know? Um, so one idea that I had for Nicholas, he was like, nah, I'm good on that. It kind of shifted and pivoted into the DTS stuff, you know? Um, so then we got to this, 
we got to this boiling point where we're starting, you start to run out of time, especially when like you're now back by sub pop. They're like, no, we need this by this day. And I'm like, okay, we had this one idea and for cost, we couldn't do it. And he just was like, I want to use this photo of like my wife's and my son. I want to use this photo of him wearing this virtual headset and like, okay, great. So we, I designed this whole book that every song had album art. And there was this little, like a page of Atugani that you could flip over. And so he would just be entering all these worlds within the book. So as you opened it, it would actually like tie in the VR headset and he would be in these worlds of the songs. And that's kind of what the idea was. It's kind of like take yourself out of that, you know? He wanted to use his image of his son that his wife took based on a piece that she had made. And she was using, you know, like a braid, a braided uh, VR headset. Oh, she made that? She made that. It's That's like wow. a piece of hers called Sweetgrass that she, like, this is part of the, the work she does, you know. Yeah, and yeah, that's awesome. Merritt Johnson. So she also has the same vibe. Yeah, she's another Native artist that kind of like put things on their heads and shows it for face value and exploits it and makes fun yeah, of it and mocks exactly. it. exactly embraces culture you know so i was like well can we can we put atugani in it can you just take a photo like can you put it on a backdrop a white backdrop for me and i'll just you know even if it sucks i'll just cut it out and make it work you know and yeah mm-hmm. so we wanted to take atugani and we wanted to you know the the music is so vivid right and and they sound mm-hmm. like such completely different sonic worlds that we wanted to express that visually too we wanted to the idea of putting on a headset and sitting in that in the what the album cover looks like in this just like you know tron like digital space for the baby to, to think about every song is a different world a different journey and a different place to go mm-hmm. the initial packaging was going to have this like overlay where different atuganis were going to be in different worlds so his his body would change just as much as the background would change but you know you throw in a couple of 20 extra pages and you know cost goes up 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 and yeah. so we kind of distilled it down and just did like in that custom, the custom album art uh, was it 500, I think, are coming out. There's like completely clear vinyl. There's, um, there is album art for every song. Um, and we ended up kind of changing my book and making it more of a mm-hmm. Nicholas book. You know, I think part of that is just that Nicholas is killing it as an artist and a designer. Oh so we gosh. wanted to, we wanted to tie in that world kind of last minute. We just kind of swapped the old idea with the new idea. It's still kind of there, but you just don't get the complete payoffs of all the Atuganis. But, you know, okay. I think I think the uh, the book itself is great. Okay, let's get to Dazzle Camo because I'm obsessed. So um, are you also obsessed with Peter Seville? And... I wouldn't say obsessed. I'm not as obsessed with Dazzle Camo either. It's just that many, oh, many I moons ago, it. many, many, many moons ago, friends were going to open up a rehearsal space and venue in Belltown. And... We were gonna just dazzle camo the shit out of it. Oh my god, I would die. Um, I don't. I won't get into specifics, but the project fell through, sadly, for not good reasons. And oh. um, I was like, "Fuck!" I always, I still want to use that, you know. And then a friend of mine who's a dentist is like redoing her exterior building. I was like, "Let's do dazzle camo." Fuck it. She's yeah. like, "Oh my god!" 
And then she was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I, you know, like, but it just, it just it's always just kind of been there. It's a lot, but it's always just kind of been an, it's been an idea that we've, I've wanted to use. And, you know, I didn't go full dazzle for the DTS stuff, but I just, uh, I, I wanted to be inspired by it. And I think it worked really well for them as now when I step back and look at the two projects, like, I don't think it would have worked for Nicholas's project. I think it worked really well for Henri's project, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And I love the, I love the red, um, on the album. I'll put uh, links to all this stuff and it'll all be on my website for the listeners. Um, so the way I, so just for the listeners, also brief history of dazzle. Um, it was a camouflage used in world war one for ships because you couldn't obviously camouflage yourself in the wide open ocean. Everybody can see that you're there, but when you have this stripey, all these black and white stripes intersecting in crazy ways, um, it jams up and it messes with the distance. Um, how would you say it? The, like the trajectory yeah. of a ship. So if you're shooting mm -hmm. torpedoes, yep. um, it, that was really its main function was to deter completely blowing up my ship. Yeah. So where you think I'm going to be here, I'm going to be at, you know, this latitude and longitude. I'm actually going to be at this latitude and longitude. Yeah. And the torpedoes will get thrown off. Yeah. yeah. And we're going, and that's like, you know, 1920s radar technology was, mm -hmm. you know, so that's probably different now. Probably wouldn't work as well now, but. Um, no, but it worked and it looked damn cool in the process. So all, there was all these giant ships painted with all these stripes um, going everywhere. And then. OMD later um, created an album called Dazzle Ships, um, designed by Peter Seville, and he used uh, this famous painting of a Dazzle ship from World War I. Uh, um, he was inspired by that painting to create the cover. Episode 2, I do Peter Seville with uh, my friend Travis um, on my podcast, if anyone wants to go all the way back. Also, kind of please don't. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, yeah, so... Peter Seville was inspired, and then a bunch of people started painting canoes, cars, in interior, home mm -hmm. interiors, um, clothing, all kinds of stuff. Anyways, um, but it's just very neat looking, and that's a little bit of the history, but I tend to be drawn toward that. I actually have a painting I did of uh, Dazzle behind oh, me. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Nice. Um, I did that years ago. It's not not that successful i was kind of just um experimenting with tape yeah you know it's but, actually been what's been quite weird is that you know every couple of weeks henri will shoot me a text and it's like look at this pillow that's in my mom's house and it looks just <laughs> like the album cover or he's like look at this carpet in this hotel in vegas and it's like the same and it's just kind of like okay this is getting kind of weird now it's yeah now you start to notice it everywhere um mm -hmm. so i was going to ask you about um do you have any new projects past and coming or coming up um yeah i can't jump into too much specifics but mm -hmm. are you familiar with what's happening in the new crocodile space and what's no, going I'm on not. there mm -mm. well so in november they announced they're they're leaving their corner mm -hmm. second and blanchard and they're taking over the old el gaucho building oh cool and essentially the new croc is going to be a lot more it's going to wow. be um so a new I'm, I'm actually just starting this like monday this week i've already started started my discovery and research um and it's essentially just going to be like a 700 person venue a 300 person venue a mm -hmm. cocktail bar a basement bar a movie theater a hotel and a restaurant Whoa. so it's gonna be this like rock and roll multiplex 
crocodile history meets let's let's think about hospitality in the music business in a whole new way moving forward as well. Like it's, oh, that's rad. Yeah, I'm I'm super hyped about the entire. Oh, project. that is really yeah. really cool. I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the whole building then, the hotel and everything, huh? Everything. That's quite a big project. Congratulations yeah. and well, I, uh, that's a smooth, let's hope I can get the work done. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's but it's going to be like fully encompassing. You know. Um, other than that, I've been I've been working with uh, some yoga studios and some gyms and doing some branding. I've just been kind of I left my agency last summer and I just mm-hmm. went back to freelance full time. Is that a good feeling to? go fly free after that it, it always is a good feeling um but you get back to that worry of income and life and you know is there ever going to be another project you know what i mean like that kind of odd mm-hmm. so but you know I, I as i mentioned in my record label days i'm frugal so i stack money and i make sure that i'm taken care of before i can take these are all like because freelancing is essentially passion projects you know mm-hmm so tell me about your protest design on social media. Did it start with the the fake corporate like brand parodies? Like I did like a Papa John's all white pizza, like kind of fake mock up. I did like a um the Mick Poke Bowl. <laughs> you know, just like and people would be like, Holy shit, McDonald's is doing a Poke Bowl? I'm like, no, I just literally put the logo over a Poke Bowl. That's all I did. That is so funny. <laughs> you know, so oh. so that was like way before that. We're just kinda like, how do we how do I use Photoshop and have a little bit of fun at my, I don't know, job that's monotonous today, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, which then, you know, when I saw Bonnie Siegler speak, that was kind of a nice little like kick in the butt to be like, all right, maybe let's do a little more. Let's start thinking. And then, of course, mm-hmm. quarantine hit and a lot of people went silent and a lot of designers I know went silent. And it was kind of like, all right, listen, I know you're sitting at home literally like doing nothing. Like, let's use, I feel like I had to use my talent to do something, to A, get through today. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think, and I think, so I think it initially started, I think there was like a social distance one where I just like played with the carousel to be like from me to you and just make like a five part scroll. I was like, oh, that was fun. Well received. Let's try something else. And then before you know it, the feds are in Seattle. And before you know it, like people getting murdered by the police every fucking day. Mm-hmm. And like, who am I to post my lunch or post a picture of my cat or gives a shit? You know what I mean? Put everything into perspective for real. Yeah. yeah. And what I love the most about it is that it actually transformed the way we used Instagram, where mm-hmm. we weren't sharing like that. We weren't like, oh, you post something, I'm going to share it. And now it's in everyone's IG story, right? Like, And it just people started to use it in a whole different way because I think that everyone was a little apprehensive to post bullshit that doesn't matter. So they would yep. share other people's shit that does matter, you know? And the more we started to do that, I mean, I've, I've called out some of my friends, like, why are you not making anything? Like, like it you should make It was glaringly stuff. obvious, the people yeah. that were just stepping back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we will remember you. I'm a 40-year-old straight white male. Like, I need to use my voice and my privilege to talk about things that matter because other people don't. They don't have 
15 years in Seattle in the music business, in the bar and restaurant scene. And just, you know, so whatever I could do to bring attention to it, you know, so I worked with Decrim Seattle. I did their branding. I started doing some like, you know, voting stuff and really turning politics on their heads. And, you know, whether it's like a joke of my own or working with someone else to get their message out. I think the biggest catalyst was uh, my friend, Jeremy Alexander, who's I worked with on his Neon Boots bar in Belltown. Um, so we've already been working together for a few years. He was like, hey, I really want to put together, you know, alternatives to 911 in Seattle. Will mm. you down to help me on it? He's like, this is my research. And I saw it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I did my research. And then we made this poster and it had all these resources. And within like a, like a day, like 20,000 people had shared it. And wow, even now amazing. I get an email. And even now, like I had to like put out like an 18 by 24. I put out 11 by 17. They're in classrooms. They're in high school. They're in school. They're in bars. And, you know, we had an instant incident at the bar the other day. And it was like, don't call, go check the thing. Call the mental health hotline or whatever yeah, it was. Good. And, you know, we're slowly updating it. And other cities have started to do that, too. And I just like, I just think information is power at this point. So as long well, as we can have it. not just information. If it had been a Word doc you know, design is power, how you got totally. that information across. People are mm -hmm. not going to read it if it's ugly or corporate looking. Mm -hmm. People respond to design. Design is power. Yep. Um, and I hate to sound like, oh, you know, tooting our own horns. We have, we're these gods or anything. I'm just saying like, recognize. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you using your platform. Thank you for doing that. I am. Um, yeah. I really like all the messaging again at Radja. I don't know if I was quite recording yet when we said that before um, on Instagram and uh, we all kind of had to step up a little bit and and design different stuff mm -hmm. uh, and I see you're still doing it so that's really cool you you didn't stop it's not over no, <laughs> people it's... are still dying people are still getting shot so let's keep talking okay so uh, I have to ask you I ask everybody what is the first album that you ever remember so I want to say that it's uh, Whipped Cream Delights by Herb Alpert. <laughs> you know, my dad had old vinyl and he had like a lot of old jazz stuff. Uh -huh. But what I vividly remember the most was um, Nice and Smooth, Ain't a Damn Thing Changed, the cassette tape my brother uh -huh. Mike had. Uh -huh. and, I, and I saw it and it was just these like two brothers on the cover. One was Greg Nice and I just wanted to go by Greg Nice and I couldn't. So I just took... <laughs> I. I I took that tape and I would clean my room to that tape all the time. And um, literally like every time I talk to Larry, Larry or like Larry Mizell will play like nice and smooth on KXP or something. I just like text him and it's like the new bat signal that we have this weird inside joke about. Um, but yeah, it's like a fun little album. Not really the greatest album cover. Oh, sometimes I rhyme slow. Yeah, you know that. That's yeah, so that's got the, yeah, okay. that's they got the uh, Tracy Chapman sample. That's right. Sometimes I run slow, sometimes I run quick. And then uh, Hip Hop Junkies was a big one for him, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know. Those are probably the two, which is funny because then I did, um, do you know Rachel does off-white photos? Mm-mm. Um, there was like a, an online femme magazine that uh, Michelle Dumas-Lavassar used to run, mm -hmm. and she did a photo shoot where she took the top 12 sexist albums of all time and had them reshot as men instead of women. Mm-hmm. So, there's a photo shoot of me reenacting the whipped cream delights. And will you send that, send that to me? <laughs> it was like the hottest day of the year. Oh no. Um, and so how did you keep it from melting? 
Yeah. Oh my God. It was all shaving cream. Yeah. I had just like a huge plastic dress. It was on the hottest day of the year. Mike, Steve and Oliver were just hanging over me, like just covering me with like 20 bottles of this shit. And <laughs> eventually, eventually I'm just like holding it because it's, it's melting. It was like 98 degrees that of day. Course. I'm just like, I'm like holding it up in my arms and it just slowly <laughs> melting. Did you, were you holding the rose? Yeah. Yeah. I just texted you. Um, so during the pandemic, I started a shitty record covers account on Instagram where I encouraged people to use household items to make shitty versions of album covers. And I did the oh my God. cream delights. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> yeah, that was actually whipped cream. <laughs> that Or that was Cool Whip, I mean. And I ate it. That is That looks delicious, too. Because mine funny? was not. Mine was not. So yours was shaving cream? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's not. At least it didn't get all sugary and sticky or anything like that. No, I just it just kind of smelled a little shaving creamy and medic. I don't know, kind of medicinal. Oh my! They did a great job. Yep, great job. Wow! But there was no air conditioning. There was no air conditioning. This was this was tough to to stay. Yeah. <gasps> Can I post that? Sure. Please. It's album related. Oh, yeah. So there was a magazine called Stacked, but it looks like it's not online anymore. Okay. Which sucks. Because they did a couple other ones with a couple other bands. You know, I was going to say, I wanted to see the other ones too. I'm sure they're out there. I just don't know. You might, we might want to hit up Rachel to see because she's got them all. Oh, that's so funny. Great job. That's probably, yeah. you probably had the most important one because that album oh, was. <laughs> Well, I was like kind of hyped to get that one. I was like, "Yeah, oh, this is like kind of what I remember." And then I showed my father, and he's like, "Oh, I love it. You look, you look beautiful." You know, <laughs> my my heavy machinery mechanic New Jersey father was like, "Oh, you look beautiful, son. I Aww. love it." You know, just like you know, like you got to love that shit. So yeah, love um, it. Yeah. That's that album is so funny too because there's a lot of people who collect them. Like every time they see it, they buy it. Yep. And I know there's like somebody has a whole wall. They've wallpapered their a room mm-hmm. or something with every single one they. Have. <laughs> so. That's a that's a prime <laughs> example of an album cover almost being more popular than the music itself. You know, exactly. and um, it, that's the power in those album covers. You know, like it's yeah. fucking dope. So yeah, and back then that was the only medium. Like you have this twelve by twelve space mm-hmm. to get people to notice. To buy it, like a wine label, mm-hmm. get them to buy it. Uh, yeah. it's Maybe cool. there's an insert. Maybe there's an insert. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then I also wanted to ask, and I this is not necessarily a negative question. Um, I can sometimes be a negative creep, but um, do you have dun, an dun, unpopular dun. opinion? Something it can be either something you love that other people hate or vice versa. I have a lot of unpopular opinions. So when you asked me this, I was like, I don't fucking know. Like, (laughs) like one one unpopular opinion I have, I guess I would say, is that um, the music industry doesn't value design, Mm. and they don't budget for it, they don't plan for it, they don't give a shit because they're thinking about a bottom line. And they don't necessarily understand the power that design can actually have, whether you're a venue or a label. So if you're a band getting paid $250 to play a show, 
but you want me to do a poster. And I'm like, that poster took me three days and you're going to pay me, what can you budget? 75. Now that band's making even less. It's just like, come on guys. Like we need to rethink this structure. Exactly. And it is, it's a structure and it's a system. It's not necessarily the band's fault. It's the way no. things are set up, but I've been asked, I am a woman of color and I've been asked to design merch for free, literally something that they're going to sell mm-hmm. <laughs> for free. I'm like, what are you talking about? No. When, what, on what planet, like in what other industry would we yeah. be doing that acting this way? Yeah. It's there was a, you know, Wanda Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, who Wanda Jackson yeah. is mm-hmm. like country singer. So yeah. I did a poster, did a poster for her and. Sally May or Sally May and the somethings uh, was the opener from Portland. Wow. And they, they like toured together and uh-huh. you know, Wanda comes and she's like now, I don't know, 75, she's old now and just kind of reunion tour and her people right after the show, are like, Oh my God, Wanda loves this poster that you did for her. We want to use it for all our merch. We want to just, we want to buy it from you. Like, what do you think? I'm like, okay, well you want to use it for everything. Like, mm-hmm. all right. And at the time I'm like, I don't know, give me 2,500 bucks. And they're like, no, we can give like a hundred bucks. And I was like, well, what? fuck you, Wanda Jackson. <laughs> fuck you, Wanda Jackson. You can't use this. You're selling out venues of 700 people. You're going to make $10,000 in merch that night alone. Like, fuck off. Like, I ain't got time to sell my shit like that. Yeah. Um, you got a question on price? Shoot me an email. Mm-hmm. I will tell you the price. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, after all this and, you know, with everyone working from home and the pandemic, and all this, I mean, I've been talking to friends, photographers, designers, like, mm-hmm. should we put out this master list? Should we be like, this is what you should be charging for a logo. This is what you should be charging for custom dev. This is what you should be charging for portraits, headshots, whatever mm-hmm. the fuck it is. Um, because we need to be more open and honest about this. Mm-hmm. Not not only for gig to gig, but for full-time employment too. Like, you know, because even there, like, you come out of school, you're making 48 grand as like a junior designer. Like, give me a break. That's not money, you know? Not in Seattle. It's nothing. Yeah. So are you going to do this master list? I think so. I think I'm going to at least try to open up a conversation. Um, I think it's hard to necessarily lock in prices because, you know, you get a logo from someone who just started design versus a logo from someone who has 15 years of design under their belt. Like you're paying for way more experience. You're paying for a whole different like uh, vantage point. You know what I mean? Um, Then you start talking about like timeline, right? Is it like, do you pay me for my hours? If it takes me two months, do you pay me? per hour for those two months? Or if I do your logo in five minutes, did I just, do you pay me more because I saved you two months to go generate revenue? Right? That's like there's, great. Yeah. There's just a lot of different ways to approach like how we price. And mm-hmm. I just think in general, we need to be like nothing under here. Like, sorry. You know, mm. what is that number? Do you have a number? Um, it? If it was, if it was a logo, don't go under 2,500 for a logo. Okay. Just, great. just don't. I think that's very reasonable. And, um, and I think it's talking about money as people who start out as artists first and become businesses second. It's very taboo mm-hmm. to talk about. Doesn't need to be. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't need to be. And it shouldn't be anymore, especially with the way corporate structure is. And they want you to not know, you know, like exploit who's paying you and make sure it's equal to brown people, black people. Women people, women people, trans people, you know, everyone. Yeah, everybody. Especially women people. (laughs) Especially. um, Wow, thank you so much. Um, 
anything else you want to say? I thank you for taking uh, time out of your day. Um, I thought you were going to do like a whole another hour on unpopular opinions, but well, okay, that's I believe episode me. two. <laughs> I, I could do a whole podcast on unpopular. Mm. I'm sure that exists, but uh, oh I, have an, I have an eight. One of my AKAs is Mr. Onions. So that is a, Mr. Onions. a big, that is a big thing. Yeah. Why? Why Mr. Onions? Um, of my friend Ken, Ken Stife, Kenny Raw, who produced my first mixtape many, okay. many moons ago from Philadelphia. He, I went to his wedding in Philadelphia when, I don't know, I was wearing a tweed jacket. My hair was combed or something. And some, <laughs> some, some four-year-old comes up to me and goes, your name's Mr. Onions because you look like an onion. And I'm like... So I came back and at the time I was doing um, like street interviews with women about their purses for the stranger. But I was also, <laughs> I was like, what's in your purse? We're opening it right now, you know? And then it was, um, I was running my label at the time and I had a blog where I would just post all the time. So I started doing food reviews as Mr. Onions. No matter what, it wasn't a good review. Like it may not have been about the food, but something was off and we're going to exploit that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, Mr. Onions, Mr. all Onions. of your opinions are unpopular. <laughs> yeah, that should be a podcast. Uh, Mr. Onions gives his unpopular opinion. All right, let me know when Squadcast gets out of beta. Maybe I'll consider it. <laughs> this, I've never had a session where I've had to restart it twice. That's insane. No, well, it's okay. On Instagram, at Radjaw, any place else you want to talk about? your? I know you said your website's outdated, I mean, but... I mean, yeah, they can just find me under Rajah. I mean, I can. Cool. I don't have any active projects coming out or releasing. I mean, I'm not doing any DJing right now. I'm not doing any of that shit. So it's just like, you know, go buy that Yatsin record. Go buy, go buy that Iskadaf record. Go buy the Dark Time Sunshine record. You know, go buy the Shabazz record. Go buy all the records. Buy them on Bandcamp if you're buying them digitally on Fridays. So artists get that money. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, um, and congrats on all your on your great work recently. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having me, dude. Bye. Bye.